So we assume that when the price point is low, people behave irrationally. But if someone is buying a home or if someone is finding a spouse to get married to or if someone is buying a car, there is no way they're going to be irrational and they are completely wrong. It is still completely, completely irrational. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we are dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I'm your host, Annette Grant. And we believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you are struggling to scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. And let's get on with the show. On today's episode of Honest E-Commerce, we welcome Rishi. He's from Frictionless Commerce, and we discuss buyer psychology, why shoppers behave the way they do, and how marketers can nudge them. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. I am Chase. I am joined by Annette Grant sitting across the table from me. And today, across the internet, we welcome today's (laughs) guest, Rishi from Frictionless Commerce. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. Nice to talk to both of you. Hi, Rishi. Yeah. I, Rishi and I spoke about a partnership between our agencies once. And then uh, it, honestly, that conversation was so valuable. I was like, oh, we got to get you on the podcast. Like, you telling me this stuff isn't good. Like, you got to tell everyone. No, that's awesome. It's good to hear. Yeah. So, so let's kind of get into it. I, you know, I didn't give you much of an intro there, and that's my mistake. I was up late watching Game of Thrones. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about what you guys are really, really good at uh, over there at Frictionless Commerce. Uh, you guys kind of specialize in buyer psychology and why people behave that they do. Uh, so, I got one question for you now. You know, how long have you been studying buyer psychology, and what is it? That's a that's a great question. And for me, the journey started when I was sixteen years old, and I was in a retail store and I remember looking at the aisle from one angle and I saw this one customer. It was a really small store, but I saw this one customer um, stand on one of their one of the aisles and they lifted up the item. They were investigating it. They clearly seemed confused. They, they wanted it, but they weren't sure about it. And I saw them struggle with it and then they put it back. They walked away. They came back. They looked at it again. And then on the left-hand side, I could see the cash register where the, where the owner of the store was sitting. And I thought to myself that this person who's sitting at, you know, at the cash register is obviously paying a lot of attention to transactions that are taking place. But what about that struggling moment that this person is having on aisle four or aisle five who will never make it up to, to him? What if, if he knew that this person is struggling with this question or is un, like clearly has the motivation but doesn't have the right answer to make the purchase if they if we could anticipate that wouldn't that be amazing and you know this was way before e-commerce was even a viable thing but i remember that question kind of it really mesmerized me and i thought to myself it'll be so fascinating to kind of get beyond just transactions to understanding what's going on in the pre-sales process and i wasn't able to do anything with it i went to my went to engineering did my engineering came to the us and did my MBA. And then at that point, I said, hey, this is something I can I can explore more on a professional basis. And that's pretty much how my whole journey started. Rishi, that's such a cool story. I'm not I'm trying to envision um, what I was doing at 16 and I don't think it was analyzing shoppers in a retail location. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> intending to, but I just saw someone struggle and I thought to myself, like, 
there must be a way to solve this struggle. I mean, just serendipitously, I happened to be there and I noticed it. But you know, it took me it took me I don't know uh, fifteen years to do anything about it. So. It's I, very I a, interesting, though. I had a mohawk at sixteen, so I was getting chased out of those little stores. <laughs> may May we ask, like, what what was the product that they were looking at? Just to, you know, I honestly don't even remember. It was some kind of packaged product that they were holding in their hand. It might have been, you know, some kind of a printer cartridge or something. I wasn't exactly sure what the product was. They were they were, they were quite a distance away from me, but I could make out that they were. I could their body language. It was just one person, but the body language was so specific. It was so clearly showing a struggle and a conflict where there was a strong desire to buy it, but an even stronger desire not to screw up and buy the wrong product. I found it quite interesting to watch from this instance. That answer is probably the most perfect answer <laughs> that you weren't meaning to say because I think that's this is important for anyone that's selling anything that there is a buyer psychology. So do you want to walk through that a little bit? Like, What is buyer psychology and why is it important to anyone selling anything? Yeah, well, I mean, that is that has become the quest of my life. And, you know, when I'm 80 years old, I hope to have figured, have to really have mapped it out. It is such an interesting, it is such an interesting um, question. And, you know, the way I, the, there are many, many ways in which marketers can think about buyer psychology. I think that th- there is a lot of science, there's a lot of behavioral economics that has been developed over the last 30 years that singularly is focused on this one question. And one of the key aspects of buyer psychology that economists have figured out, which is very different than how we used to look at buyer psychology prior to that, we used to assume, and this is the area that I find the most fascinating, is that economists would assume that shoppers and buyers are rational actors, which simply means that if a company is able to come up with a product that is 5% cheaper, that they will they will dominate the marketplace. But when you look at reality, when you actually look at you know, you know, Microsoft or, or Google or Facebook or any, any consumer brand, it doesn't matter what you are, you notice there's actually no correlation. There isn't necessarily a direct correlation between the best product and the best sales. And this confused economists because this doesn't make sense. Markets should be efficient. People should behave in rational ways. And then a bunch of economists 30 years ago started questioning this idea and started experimenting around it. They came up with concepts like prospect theory. They came up with lots of experiments around buyer psychology. And what they found was that even though we assume that people are rational actors, and even though we believe we ourselves are rational actors, there's a pretty big part of our decision-making that is irrational. And what's happened is over the last 30 years, they've realized not only is part of our decision-making irrational, pretty much all of it is irrational. In fact, rationality is in, in, inconsequential part of that whole process. And I think that is really interesting because if marketers can understand that, what it's telling us is that we can actually influence people to behave in certain ways, and which is very different than how marketing is done right now. So most marketing is done around features and benefits. So you go to any website, if they have a product, they'll say, here are our features, here are our benefits, here are 30 customer reviews. And then they, they just expect people to come there and say, well, here are the features, here are the benefits, here's a social proof, I see customer reviews, I see there's a return policy, boom, I'm done. And actually, that's not how we work at all. That's not how our brain works. And what scientists have figured out is there's something called system one and system two. System one is the irrational, irrational side of the brain. System two is the more logical 
methodical side of the brain. System one is very quick. So when you see something, the first thing that's activated is system one. System two is much more methodical, much more scientific, much more cautious. But system two is also very lazy. So what happens is in almost every scenario, system one gets activated by default. And in most cases, we're not able to turn off system one to turn on system two, which is what we really should be doing. If we were rational actors, what would happen is that every decision would be based on system two, which is the rational side of the brain. But because system one gets started so fast, and most people don't even know they're in system one mode, um, it's very, very hard for them to turn off system one and start system two. And there are plenty of examples. We, I don't want to get too much into the weeds or bore you guys with it, but this is basically the fundamental building blocks around which the whole field of behavior science is is built. Absolutely. So when people are going with their gut, that's that's system one? Yeah. When people are going with their gut, it's system one. And the, the, the thing is that most people don't even know they're going with their gut. Yeah. So. And so really what's happening is where you... So this a great example would be, you know, one would assume this is another mistake that marketers make is that if you go to a retail store, you'll notice that at the end caps or at the checkout lanes, they have these impulse items like, you know, candy, magazines, whatever. So we assume that when the price point is low, people behave irrationally. But if someone is buying a home or if someone is finding a spouse to get married to, or if someone is buying a car, there is no way they're going to be irrational. And they are completely wrong. It is still completely, completely irrational. And so what I mean by that is we, if you ask someone why they chose to buy a certain premium brand of car, they won't say that I bought it because I was being impulsive and the leather felt really good or the steering wheel felt really kind of amazing. I felt empowered by it. They'll use a whole bunch of rationality or rational, rational based reasons to justify their choice. So they'll say, it's number one rated for consumer reports. It's got the best, um, it's got the best ratings on, you know, safety ratings, whatever it is. They're using, they're, they're in hindsight, they're using rationality to justify an irrational choice that they made because it's very uncomfortable to say, I bought this car because I, I spent 50,000 bucks so I just love the color of it. That doesn't seem rational. Even though that's exactly how why they bought it. Hey, if you're in the product making business, then we've got great news for you. Katana is here to make your life easier. There's now a Shopify app built and designed for merchants that make their own products. Manage your sales, orders, raw materials, production schedule, inventory, and material purchasing all from one dashboard. The name of that app is Katana. K-A-T-A-N-A. Katana is designed for makers, crafters, and small manufacturers selling on Shopify. Until now, product makers selling on e-commerce have had to settle with messy spreadsheets or regular inventory management software. We know they both usually suck if you need to make your own products. Fortunately, Katana is built from ground up with the needs of a small manufacturer in mind. Production scheduling and inventory management has never been this easy for Shopify merchants. A recent survey shows that 93% of Katana's users say they love it because of the ease of the setup and how intuitive it is. To try Katana for free, sign up at www.katanamrp.com. That's K-A-T-A-N-A-M-R-P.com. Or search Katana on the Shopify app store. There's a 14-day free trial. You do not need a credit card. And when you're signing up, use the promo code HONEST to get 30% off your first three months of a paid subscription. Check out Katana today. Absolutely. So let's let's kind of let's narrow this in. So how does this come into play when you're talking about an e-commerce store? How is 
How are we taking these impulses, these emotional appeals, and using it on a website? Yeah, that's that's really a that's really a good question. So we've identified uh, ten or actually nine specific, and and you know this is an expanding list. So as we do more research and we're able to compartmentalize some of these tactics. We've identified there are basically nine dimensions in which we can influence influence the buyer. And I won't necessarily go through all nine, but if, if a user or if a, if a listener to the podcast is interested, at the end of it, we can talk about how they can actually learn about all of the tactics that we utilize. But some of, I want to talk about a few of them. So one of the tactics that we utilize is thoughtfulness. And thoughtfulness basically is that if you are an online retailer and you are selling, you know, any product. You could be selling a commodity, you could be selling whatever. You have to ask yourself, why did this user come to my website? You have to essentially work backwards and ask yourself, how did they end up here? And what was their journey? And this is a difficult question. I think this is a question that most retailers don't want to think about because we just want to say, okay, someone landed here, we spent money advertising, got them to our website, Why? You know, they came here, and now we just have to push them to buy. But I believe that if you can really understand why they came to you, then you can actually start crafting messages that are tailor-made for that audience. I'll give you a great example. Let's say that you are selling a product where, you know, let's say you're selling a product and you know that you your advertising budget is doesn't show you as the first paid result. So let's look at a specific scenario where a small retailer knows that they have a limited budget, they're spending that money to a to target a certain keyword, but they know because you can you can adjust this in analytic, uh, in AdWords that they're not showing up as the first result because their ad spend is slightly on the lower side. So they may be showing up at the bottom of that first results page where you have paid ads. Now, if they know this, and if they get someone who clicks from that ad and comes to the landing page, that clearly implies that the user went. Obviously, first users will always go to the first result. But clearly, whatever they saw in the first page uh, or the first result was not a good fit for them. So the retailer can say, okay, well, we're number two or number five or whatever. Why would someone look at option number five? And the reason is because they are not satisfied with the with the value proposition, the price point, the service, the way it was described uh, for the first results. So you can actually reverse engineer this and say, I'm going to change my description to, to match, and this may not be the best example, but thoughtfulness essentially in simple terms is really think about why the user would have come to your website or your product page or considered buying from you, and then work backwards to create a message that would resonate with more people that ma- that matched up that mindset. Absolutely, that makes sense. I know that. Um... We had uh, Brennan Dunn on a few weeks ago, and he's got an app that does just this. But essentially, talking about if you know the where they're coming from, the journey, and you can match that marketing message. For example, what he was using was like, say you're selling some sort of product, and that you have like some influencers, or other people that are talking about you. Say they put you in their email blast, or they're linking to you from their blog. So when you know the where those people are coming from. Uh, you right. can set up the messaging on your site to hell. Just use a testimonial by the person that just sent the website, like sent you to your website, to like double down and uh, have that matched marketing message. So people are like, "Oh yeah, this guy sent me here, and here he is again talking about this exact product." You know, it just helps. And you know, I'll give you an, actually, I'll give you an even better example of thoughtfulness, which is that 
I find this happens a lot where a retailer will use a lot of jargon on their website. So like, for example, if they are, if they are, um, if they, if they have a product that has certain measurements, they'll, they'll put all those measurements or they'll use terminology. Like, you know, I was looking the other day at, uh, a pair of boots, uh, winter boots and they were using you know they they talked about the thickness of the of the of their boots they talked about the insulation they talked about all of they have lots of these patents so they were talking about you know proprietary trademark technology and i was trying to figure out like what does this even mean and i felt so stupid you know because i was like i want i mean i see all this terminology and all this jargon that they have on this page but i don't really know what it means and i have you know so thoughtfulness really is asking yourself does this jargon really help the user? Can we, can we, you know, if we were telling, explaining to, and the best way I explain this to people is to think about it like you're explaining to a 10 year old and you're not trying to dumb, you're not trying to dump down the content. You're not trying to talk down to the audience that never works, but just empathize with the fact that they are having a struggling moment, that they're, that they, that they're just not clear about what that terminology, look at every single word on your page and ask yourself, would everyone understand this or am I assuming they understand it because I look at it all day long and you'll notice you get a bunch of insights that will will significantly increase the clarity of your descriptions. That's great advice. That's great advice. So I think like from you know a 30,000 foot view here, like what is the number one thing like e-commerce retailers should be keeping in mind when it when it comes to this buyer psychology? I mean, there's a there's a bunch of them. Um, I'll tell you about. I'll tell you. I'll talk about two that we use a lot that I think most marketers don't really fully understand. But I'll talk talk about both of them. So one is what we call narrative control. This is actually a very important, very powerful strategy that can really unlock sales for you. And what narrative control basically the the simple definition of narrative control is that. Nobody, when, when you are selling a product, you're not just selling one thing. You're actually making a series of micro promises. So for example, if you are selling those winter boots like, that, like I talked about, you're making a promise that says this product is going to be durable, that you're not going to have to buy one every year. You're making a promise about how useful it is for the winter conditions in which... So for example, I live in Michigan. We have severe winters over here. So obviously, I don't want to buy boots that would be great winter boots for people that lived in a warmer climate where it kind of gets cold, but nowhere as cold as it gets here. So uh, that's the other one. You want to make a, you're making a promise about how easy it is going to be to, to return the boots if you have any difficulties. So you're making a sequence of promises, and what happens is that once the user has gone through all of those micro promises, that's when they are ready to pull the trigger. So first of all, as a retailer, you need to kind of list out what each of those micro-promises are. And there's a whole bunch of them, and it's not just one or two. And then you have to say, you have to look at each of those, and then you have to say, okay, let's say that someone is a skeptical buyer, and they did not buy this. You know, Let's say that we talk about insulation, and we say, we have the best insulation technology in the world. Let's assume that the person who read that said, I call BS on that. I don't buy it. This is, what's the evidence? What would you say to this person? Now, sometimes it doesn't make, I mean, so you have to kind of ask yourself, oftentimes what happens is marketers make a bunch of claims, but they don't back up what they're saying, or they don't really give further qualification. You don't have to give like a scientific report or something, but there needs to be some kind of mechanism for the user to understand 
I'll give you a great one of the best examples of narrative control. By the way, we do tons of A/B testing. So all of these tactics I'm talking about, this is not based on like you know, hey, this would work well for you. This has been rigorously, statistically validated through testing. So one of the great stories I can give you about narrative control, and this will apply to all your all your uh, listeners, is that free shipping is a really interesting phenomena because we know that consumers really like it. But the problem is that free shipping doesn't really exist, right? So if you're giving free shipping, the way you do it is by adjusting the price of the product itself to cover cover shipping. Now, what we did was one of my one of the clients we worked with refused to give free shipping because they just thought it was gimmicky and they felt that it's not true. It wasn't true to who they were, and they said, "I'm not going to lie to my buyers by saying shipping is free only to increase the price of the product." And you know, I mean, we just want to be we pay for UPS shipping. Therefore, we want people to know. So what we did was on the cart page where there is the shipping option uh, for you to select, there were a couple of options. There was an overnight shipping, which was very expensive. And we knew that someone who is price insensitive, we don't have to show them this message. But when the lowest price point available was $5.99. So when someone selected the $5.99 option from the dropdown, when they made that selection, there was a, a link that appeared on the right to the right of the dropdown that said, why isn't shipping free? So it only appears when you select the lowest tier because those are the people that wanted to essentially pick zero, but that was the lowest price point. And when you click on it, we showed a pop-up where we explained why we charge for shipping. And we simply, we simply said that you know, we charge for shipping because we pay for shipping. And it's really important to us to get the product to you in the right quality, in the right packaging, not to break, and to be able to handle returns, blah, 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 blah. And we noticed a 17% improvement in conversion rates by simply explaining to people why shipping was not free. Because people, again, goes back to system one and system two, the irrational side of our brain expects shipping to be free. That's what I want. I don't care. But when you kind of use copy to activate their rational side and say, guys, does that really, do you really believe shipping is free? People, people understand that, you know what, that's true. That doesn't make any sense. And by just explaining it to them without giving any discount, because obviously we could have made shipping free, but that wasn't the solution. We focused on explaining why shipping wasn't free. And we noticed that people actually were accepting that message. That's a great example. Uh, do you have any others that are you know, like that? Because those are the fun things to read about is you know, these unique use cases where just rationally explaining something usually helps. And I think if it's a smaller store too, they can explain that because everybody feels like they need to compete with Amazon and it's just not possible. So I think well, that's, that explanation... That's another great example. You're exactly right. So oftentimes we deal with clients. So actually Amazon is a great example. So we've actually done lots of testing around this as well, where what happens is that some clients have their products listed on Amazon as well and they're really scared of cannibalizing sales that... You know, if they don't show, if they don't reference Amazon, they feel that people will still go to Amazon. They'll still find the product, their own product on Amazon. And if they have Amazon Prime, there's really zero chance of them buying it from their website. So what we do is we they actually implement the Amazon, the link that takes them to Amazon directly on their website. But what we've experimented with is when you click on the link, um, before you go to the website, there's a pop-up that appears. And that simply states that it is true that you can buy our exact product for the exact same price on Amazon and we totally respect it if that's what you want to do. The only thing we want you to know is that if you buy it from us, we get to keep more money, therefore invest more in research and development or, or customer service, whatever the story is. 
And it turns out, again, as long as you explain to people what your reasoning is, there, you know, people, people are, people are rational. People, you know, people, people are empathetic. So if you explain it to them without pandering to them, without begging them, you know, you could, you have to do it in a very, very subtle way, but you, that's exactly how you use narrative control to prevent people from leaving a website and trying to find the cheapest alternative on, on Amazon. That's great because I didn't know I have not I have not seen an example of an Amazon vendor you know that sells on their own site and on Amazon you know doing that pop up but I know that would probably be my my irrational would or system one would buy it because I'm like oh man this is a small business owner I like what they're doing and yeah, then, you know it's like, actually a system two that would buy it in this oh. case because system one wants to actually get the lowest price point system two is the more rational side that says. Hey, you know what? Let's look at the big picture. And this, in this instance, we're actually activating system two because we know system one is going to lead them astray. Oh man, I got my systems messed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that, that's probably not the first or last time that's going to happen. So we'll just go with it. No, but that's a that's an excellent example because um, you know Chase and I we host a Shopify meetup here in Columbus, and we have a lot of people. That's a debate. Um, they're smaller vendors and they're like, do we go to Amazon? Would people actually buy goods on Amazon that are like the handmade goods versus Etsy versus Shopify? So I think it's just appealing. Again, like you said, that narrative, wherever your products are, making sure that that's, that's there. No matter, no matter what you say, that people are always, there's always going to be a contrarian view. I find one of the things I find really amazing about the clients that we work with is that they, if they if they are a small business and if they have a team of let's say you know two or three employees, they feel really nervous about showing a picture of their team because they're concerned that people will uh, kind of say, well, that's a really small business. And I always tell them that take every single negative of yours and spin it into a positive because that's what it is. Because there's many benefits of being a small business, and instead of hiding behind the fact that you're not as big as a Best Buy or as big as an Amazon or an Etsy or whatever, why not embrace and lean in to who you authentically are? Because what that then does is it allows people who believe in that to, to connect with you. If you hide that fact, then you are kind of like, you know, you're, you're missing out because you're not appealing to, you're, you're potentially fooling a few people who might assume you're big, but people aren't, you know, people aren't naive but you're definitely not appealing to people that actually ap- appreciate working with there's a bunch of consumers that want to be pioneers and want to buy things before they you know the big guys are selling them they want to have discovered it on their own and so they really would resonate with you know where where small where where boutique where you know where you know we're going to we're going to take good care of you you just have to kind of turn that negative into a positive and and it works really well I really, I really love that. Yeah, uh, that was that could have been an episode on on its own. That was excellent advice, and I think hopefully reassuring for a lot of our listeners that are are nervous on how to tell that story. But I, I think Chase and I say it all the time: like people buy from people. So if they see your face, if they see your story, they're going to appreciate that more. Everybody just thinks Amazon is you know Jeff Bezos. They don't know too many right. other people behind the scenes there. So um, that was excellent, excellent. That's the one thing that you advice. can beat Amazon on is customer service. Even though they they harp at that they're really good at it, like that's the one number one thing you can beat Amazon as a small business is you can go above and beyond for your customers, and that's not something that Amazon can do. And create a relationship, yeah, yep. and and grow with them along with them. So yeah, that was that was excellent 
excellent advice. And I think what you said too, take that negative into a positive. Like, be if if you are a smaller crew, be honest about your shipping timeframes. Be honest about why you have a certain return policy. I mean, that that stuff is fine. Where your pricing does come from, I think that you will find that the people are buying from you. For those I've seen reasons. a lot of like clothing retailers who have um, who don't accept returns for certain types of clothing. You know, they explain that you know we care deeply about our customers not not having to wear clothes that have been worn by someone else. So we just destroy it. And that's why we don't accept returns. Now, as someone who's buying this product, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I myself would not want to want to wear some intimate clothing someone else wore. So, you know, and so it, res- it, it you know, instead of hiding from that fact and saying, let's hide our return policy because people are going to see it and it's going to say we don't accept returns. Why don't we get in front of the problem and say, let's turn this into a positive and explain it in a way that makes sense because this, usually there's a good reason why choices are made. You just have to explain why you're making those choices. Support for our podcast comes from our friends at Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your e-commerce store. It works with your existing email and chat platforms, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler's network of on-demand, US-based Simpler specialists are standing by to answer your customers' most common questions. Set it up for free today and then turn it on or off depending on your customer volume. You only pay $2.25 for every resolution. No hidden fees, contracts, or minimums. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat around the clock with Simpler specialists. Start your free 7-day trial at simpler.ai slash honest. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I slash honest. So I want to get at least one more tactic out of you because these have been excellent. So besides narrative control, what is something else that uh, our listeners today could could take action on? One of your tactics for both. So the other one I want to talk to you about is something we call serendipity. And it's a very, very powerful tactic. And I, and I want to give you... Um, I want to kind of speak about it in very specific terms. So again, this kind of goes back to what I said about thoughtfulness. You have to ultimately... This is the final takeaway. This is the key takeaway that I want every listener to have. Is that if you do not think deeply about your users, if you do not obsess about your customers, then you will become obsolete. End of story. And it's a it's a hard message, but it's it is absolutely true. So serendipity is a mechanism where you have to ask yourself. Let's 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 look at an example. Let's look at an example where like every product or every service has trade offs. And so serendipity basically is an a, a, a tactic that we utilize where we are asking ourselves questions about the person who is on this page right now. So for example, if the person who is coming to this page is coming on a weekend, um, this is one of my key things that I find really fascinating about uh, how retailers don't innovate enough. So imagine if you have a product page where this is your main product you're selling, this is the biggest product you sell. I find it very fascinating. Even if I go to a large retailer and I go to their product page, their product description if I go on a January, if I go on um, three months from then, if I go in the middle of the year, if I go in the end of the year, the description is exactly the same. And I always find this really interesting because the, a shopper who comes to this product page at the start of December is probably here because they're in, in gift buying mode, either for themselves or for a loved one. If someone comes here in March or something, they're just, you know, they're, they're different too. If someone comes here on the weekend, 
they're also, it depends on what the product is, but if it's, let's say it's a business product, and if they come on a weekend, clearly this person is different than someone who comes on a weekday. Um, if someone comes on their cell phone in the evening versus if they come during business hours, they're different too. And yet the copy and the story is always identical. It doesn't adjust at all. Serendipity is basically you anticipating the mindset of the user, not just from a global perspective, but in that situation. Why is the person, why would a person using their cell phone come to this our product page during business hours? Could we, it doesn't mean that you have to always draw a conclusion, but it opens you up to asking that question. Most retailers don't even ask that question. And you can then adjust copy. So for example, the December, you know, we can you can create a rule that says in December, we're going to change the copy. A lot of times retailers will kind of put a banner that'll say, hey, you know, we're Christmas sales, whatever. A banner is just a band-aid. I think to be really persuasive, you should rewrite your copy from the perspective of the person who's on that product page. And you have to ask yourself, would this be something that someone is trying to get as a gift for themselves? Or is this a gift that someone is trying to get for someone else? And just, just based on that assumption, this is what serendipity is. You're, you're kind of creating a moment of serendipity. And then you have to ask yourself, how would we change the copy? You don't have to rewrite the whole copy but you can adjust it a little bit just based on that situation. And it, you have, and, and again, this is not based on just uh, speculation. This is something we've tested extensively. You'll be amazed at the kinds of conversion impact you have by simply kind of personalizing it for their situation. Two things. The banners, the Band-Aid is really great because I know when I want to just like fix things or get a message out quickly and not really think about it, I change my banner. So now I'm thinking that's the easy way out. But secondly, do you think that Google Analytics appreciate or takes that into account when you're changing the product description periodically? Will that help? I mean, I yes, know that's speculation. But... The description is is uh, or you know up, enhance or updating your content is good for for ranking purposes as well. But I mean, you don't you don't have to do it if if someone is concerned about let's say rankings. Assuming that's your question, I don't think you need to change it in such a drastic way. It's just about adding an accent to it that lets the user again back to their system one mode. Most decisions are being made in their system one mode. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that I knew based on your behavior, that you are someone who hates your cell phone carrier. Let's let's imagine we are an, a cell phone carrier and we know that the user who comes to our website, we just, whatever technology we use, we figured out that the user hates their cell phone carrier. Imagine if we had a headline that said, you know, and we knew your carrier. Let's say we, we knew you had Verizon. And imagine if the headline on the page uh, said, you know, you know, Verizon really sucks <laughs> and we have a better solution for it. Even though you it would subconsciously be such a draw for you because you'd be like, yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And so this is how serendipity can really play a role. So you don't have to necessarily rewrite the whole copy. Just that headline change will actually make you 10 times more likely to buy the service because they've reflected what your beliefs were. Absolutely. And then there's just something that you kind of touched on a bit. And it's all of this you're testing. You're not making sweeping changes and not playing against the control like you there's an ab test going on with all of these right everything everything we do and for the last 9 years you know we've run over 400 experiments we we're constantly testing learning more and all of this all of these tactics i'm talking about we didn't come up with a tactic and then run a test to validate it we actually did testing and then based on successes worked backwards and said what are the key trends we are seeing here 
That's amazing. So if I am a nerd and I love all this stuff, which I do, how do I find out more about it? Where do I go? What do I do? I mean, there, there are a couple of things. I would recommend you check out my website, frictionless-commerce.com. It's a pretty long name, but frictionless is one word, dash commerce.com. Um, over there, you will find detailed explanations and tons of examples of the tactics that we talked about here, but we've got a lot more. From there itself, if you go to the footer, you can actually access our blog. We've been writing about this stuff for the last 12 years now. We've written over you know, 500 articles about it. Um, you can you can actually all the articles have been organized based on tactics. So you might say that hey, look for my brand, for my for 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 what I'm trying to do, power is the tactic that I want to explore the most. You just click on the power link, and we will pull up all the articles we've written about it. And we don't just write articles; we actually show examples with screenshots and mockups and videos, so you can easily understand how it applies to you. Because one of the key things that we've learned is that. Our customers don't have the time to uh, hear of a concept and then have to work backwards and say, how do I apply this to my website? They want to see a concrete example like that uh, why isn't shipping free idea so they can directly apply that to their website and don't even have to change the copy and just pretty much use the copy that we've already invented. So that would be the best way for, for readers to learn more about our process and essentially keep in touch with us. There's also a Anyway, once they get to the website, they'll be able to figure out how they can get in touch with us, and we do a, a you know, like a free assessment as well to understand what's going on with their business and understand what the upside potential is. So that also is available on the Let's Talk page on our website. Awesome! Thank you so much for being on our show. I do have one more question because I remember being on your website way back <laughs> when. So you. I'm gonna. Hopefully, you can catch on to what, what test I'm talking about here. But it was about time on page and how you increase time on page to then help increase sales. Am I getting that right? Mm. <laughs> it was like a pop up with a timer. Oh yeah 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 oh. yeah 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 yeah. So that that actually is not that is that is not something that we've A/B tested. It's actually a. So what we do is we 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 are constantly developing theoretical concepts, which we then kind of. You know, go to some clients with because it's really very brand specific. It it only works. So the, I, I'll give you. I'll just for your readers to understand. I'll tell you what the idea was. The idea was a pop up that basically says, if you spend ten minutes on the website, we'll give you. Uh, you know, we have something surprising for you. Correct. Yeah, that was it. And the idea here was what what happens is when we look at data for our for our clients. And again, this depends on what type of client you are. So let's let's look at an example of a jewelry website because this idea is specifically designed for those types of websites. Jewelry website or a fashion brand or a product or a website where you have a lot of varieties of variations of SKUs. So what we find in analytics is that the number of users that actually explore multiple designs is a very small percentage. So typically, less than 20% of people will explore more than five product pages on your website. But the ones that explore five product pages have a significantly higher conversion rate. So we can see a direct correlation between how much they explore on the website and what the probability of them buying is. And this is very common. Like I said, it's very common for websites where you have lots of designs, lots of patterns and stuff like that. Where So what happens is the more you, the more you navigate the website, the higher the probability that you will find a piece of jewelry that you absolutely have to have. And it's very difficult as a merchandiser to know what that is 
at the top of the funnel. This is why you exploring across the website is so important. Now, most retailers like to give a discount coupon code the moment you land on the website, which I, first of all, I hate the idea. We've tested it. It's smart, effective, but there's plenty of nicer ways, smarter ways of doing it. But my point is that instead of giving them that discount upfront, if you have to give a 10% or a 15% off anyway, why not use gamification to say, hey, if you spend 10 minutes browsing my website, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some, show you something special. Now, the reason why it's so effective is, first of all, our brains are wired for games. We love games. So we are instantly drawn to it. But from a, from a data perspective, we know that if users slow down, they activate system two. And if they activate system two, and if they spend time on the website, there is a much, much higher likelihood that they'll stumble on a print or a design or like if you're, you know, whatever, that they would have never discovered if they spent, spent you know, just 10 seconds on the website. So that's, that's the idea. But it's theoretical. So we still haven't tested it for a client yet, but we hope to in sometime this year. Awesome. So to stay up to date on what's going on with that concept, you got to jump on that email list, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. If you, if you go to frictionless-commerce forward slash join, uh, you can sign up for our mailing list. And we every Monday, we publish one simple, actionable idea because that's the key word is it has to be actionable. People don't want ideas that are like, you know, really book smart, but are not practical. Uh, but that's right. Once we once we figure it out and once we start testing it, we will never, of course, talk about a specific test that we've done for a client. But what we will do is we'll basically add a qualifier in the post that says that this is something now we've tested and then, you know, you have now data to say this is something you should probably experiment with on your website as well. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, there was so much in there and I am signing up for your mailing list right now. I don't know why I wasn't on it before, <laughs> but I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you guys. Um, and if there's any questions that come up, you know, uh, go to the website and you can, uh, you can contact me directly. But uh, this has been really good. Thanks for your time. We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing the truth. Links and more will be available in the show notes. If you found any actionable advice in this podcast that you'd like to apply to your business, please reach out at electriceye.io slash connect. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice.